Since the earliest of times, mankind has had the hope to dwell with God both in and beyond this life. It was more than having a life that outlasts this one. It was having a life that partakes in God's eternity. This is evidenced even in one of the oldest, if not the oldest, book of the Bible, Job. While going through his infamous tragedy, Job expresses this hope in Job 19.25-27. But I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand on the earth. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him, and not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. Yes, and we long for that too, and we tend to call this hope heaven. And if you grew up in the church, the chances are you have heard a ton about heaven, but the chances are you also have heard tons of ideas that are actually not in alignment with the Bible on this topic. Not that a different gospel was being preached, but certainly a wrong notion of our eternal hope. In my many conversations with Christians and non-Christians, this is perhaps one of the most misunderstood topics of our faith. And today's conversation is just the beginning. It will take us weeks to build toward a new paradigm of thinking about heaven. We're setting aside the cultural paradigms about heaven to put on the lens of ancient eyes to see what the scriptures actually say about our eternal hope. We must reimagine heaven in accordance with the Bible. Paradoxically, we will look to the ancients for wisdom on how to perceive the eternal. Join me as we reimagine heaven. Pop quiz, how many times does the Bible say that heaven is where we go when we die? And now let me just tell you right away so you don't feel like I'm setting you up. Zero. Zero times. Zero times. There are zero times in the Bible when it says that heaven is the place where we go when we die. And this should be shocking because a lot of our gospel presentations are often something like, believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And I get what the person is saying, so if I heard someone saying that, I'm not going to stop them and say they're saying something completely wrong and I totally disagree. No, that's not, that's not the point. But what I am saying is that it is interesting that the very thing and word choice we use around our gospel presentations is not quite found in the Bible. And you see, this idea of redemption is so much more than getting a one-way ticket out of this world and into a place called heaven. I think it's sad when we see our lives as Christians as nothing more than waiting around for A, Jesus to return, or B, to die and go to heaven. And 
again, I think it's a little bit confusing because the word heaven in the Bible is not used that way. So how does the Bible use the word heaven? And just to give you a few examples, uh, just a few ones here. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And without trying to over explain each of these pastures I'm showing you, clearly what's happening here in Genesis 1.1 is heavens and earth is just a way of communicating in the beginning, God created everything. Everything, the planet Earth, the stars, the planets, everything in the created universe, and all of the cosmos, everything. So that's how heaven is used there. So now you have Psalm 11.4. Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh, his throne is in heaven. Okay, so that's a little different. Heavens is, in Genesis was just another way of saying the starry expanse, all the planets, the cosmos. And now here, heaven is the place where God's throne is. Interesting. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Well, that sounds a little bit more like Genesis, the heavens as in the galaxies and such, the stars. Okay, cool. So a little bit of consistency. First Kings 8.27, and it's uh, Solomon here when he's blessing and consecrating the temple and uh, opening it up to the people. He's giving this sort of speech. And in the midst of here, he says this. But will God indeed live on earth? Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. So here, heaven is, you know, it's, it's some realm that God somehow abides in. He says heaven as in the skies, the the universe, but the highest heaven cannot contain you. How will this temple I built? So another way it's used. And then Second Peter 3.13, which says this, But based on his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness dwells. Interesting. That goes back to kind of recapitulate Genesis 1-1 a little bit. In the beginning was the creation of heaven and earth, and then 2 Peter 3-13, which actually is quoting the Old Testament, is talking about this even further hope of something beyond, a new creation, a new heavens, new earth, new creation. So the word heaven doesn't really answer the dilemma of, of what's going on here. Um, when we use the word heaven, we talk about it like the place believers go when they die. But uh, it can mean a lot of different things based on context. So now let's just, if we're going to reimagine heaven, we have to start uh, somewhere pretty naturally. And we have to start thinking through how the ancients viewed heaven from a biblical perspective. After all, the Bible is an ancient book written to an ancient audience. Now, the message is definitely for us today, but we have to understand the Bible on its own terms. We have to see how it answers the original audience's questions when it comes to giving hope of eternal life with God. Because it's not always going to answer our questions. Sometimes it will because it answered their questions, but it doesn't always anticipate and answer our questions. And that's where I want to turn our attention for the next few minutes. I want to trace a theme from the Old and New Testament on a particular topic that was important to the ancient audience. So think about the Old Testament for a moment. What was the special place that God's people saw as a way to experience heaven on earth? And some of you might have said and thought in your mind, well, the temple. Yes, for sure, the temple. But before the temple, it was the tabernacle which is the key to understanding this. And you might ask, what's so special about the tabernacle? Well, it was the tabernacle in which 
God gave the instructions to build, and it was the place in which God dwelt in a special, unique way. The people at this time were mobile and on a mission to get where they would settle, on the way to the promised land, yet they were abiding with God even as they were on the move in the wilderness, taking the tabernacle with them. Here's another thing. The tabernacle was constructed in such a way as to be a representation of heaven. It was to be a microcosm of God's realm. A microcosm is simply a miniature version of the larger life-sized version. Think of a snow globe. When you look at a snow globe of New York, you know it's not actually New York, but a small version resembling it. The tabernacle on earth resembles God's realm in heaven. Heaven is the real thing. The tabernacle is like the snow globe version of it, the microcosm of it. So now what was the purpose of the tabernacle? The purpose of the tabernacle was to be a place of intersection between God and man, heaven and earth, life above and life below. It was that unique meeting place because God, while his presence is definitely on earth and around us and all that stuff, his home, his realm is not here. It's not with us in this sort of way. So it provided this meeting place between God and man. However, the tabernacle shows us that God's desire is to dwell with humanity. It was to be that special place for him to meet with those who he loves. And ancient Israel saw heaven as the realm that transcends the realm of the created world. For them, to go to heaven was to eclipse the divisions and boundaries of creation itself. Ultimately, the tabernacle provided a place for them to imagine what life with God will be like beyond the constraints, messiness, and even brokenness of this life. But they knew this. They knew that the the tabernacle was not the end in and of itself. Israel knew that just as their time wandering in the wilderness was to be temporary, the tabernacle would be the temporary place in which God and man are united together. As a microcosm of heaven, the tabernacle was a transient, momentary residence for the divine romance of God and his people. The tabernacle provided a way for us to have a pocket of heaven on earth, but it was also a mobile place that would be packed up and taken on the go. It would be on the move with the people as they headed toward a destination. The tabernacle being on the move was deeply symbolic of heaven as well. Here's a provocative idea. Heaven is a world on its way to its destination. A destination? Where? What? (laughs) That might be super confusing at this point for you. You may have never heard such a thing. Heaven is a world on the move, a world with a destination. But this is why I chose to use the tabernacle as today's foundational example as we kickstart this series. Because the answer is not found until we see how the New Testament picks up on this and repurposes the tabernacle in a fresh way that reveals the unfolding plan of God. The tabernacle as a microcosm, a mini-representation of heaven, God's realm, helps us see God's endgame desire. So let's see that. Let's take a look. Let's look at these, uh, just a few New Testament examples. And I'm going to read three verses for you. And in these verses, the Greek word is either the noun, skene, or the verb, skenao, which are just the noun and verbal forms of the word tabernacle in Greek. So uh, it'll become clear what's going on here. And the thing is, it's not super easy to notice it in most English translations. That's why I'm going to point it out to you. So John 1 verse 14, and your most translations will read something like this. 
The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Ah, did you see it? The tabernacle so clearly in this verse. You might be thinking, no, what? And no, no, it's not. I don't see the word tabernacle anywhere there. Well, it's, it is there. Let me read it to you again. But this time I'm going to make it more clear. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Huh. So the translation of dwell actually comes from the verb in Greek, skenao, which is the verbal form of tabernacle. So it's the verb usage of tabernacle. So to tabernacle. I didn't even know that was a verb. How do you use that in a sentence? Hey, I'm going to go tabernacling with someone. What? That's crazy. But that's what happens in John 1.14. In the person of Jesus, God came to tabernacle with us in a way that was even beyond the original tabernacle. Jesus was literally the person of heaven on earth. Heaven walked and moved everywhere Jesus went. He was the pocket of heaven on earth, even the person of heaven. He was God. <laughs> so this is amazing. Let's look at another verse, Revelation thirteen six. Now, you don't need to understand what's going on because this is going to sound like a very strange verse. Not the point. Let's pay attention, though, how it's used here. And I'm just going to read uh, where it does already. I'm going to point out to you where it says tabernacle, so to make it easier this time. Revelation 13, 6 says this. The beast began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, those who tabernacle in heaven. In the translation, most translations, it's like uh, to blaspheme his name in his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. But clearly it's uh, those blasphemy against God's tabernacle and those who tabernacle in heaven. And I want to see, I want you to see right here that whatever's going on here, uh, this is a kind of vision or picture of heaven as it is right now. Believers who are uh, with God in the present are in his tabernacle and they're tabernacling in heaven. The microcosm, the miniature version of the tabernacle, has its true form in heaven. That's what it's built towards. Think snow globe. Again, the snow globe of New York, but there's actually the real thing, the real New York you can go to. The tabernacle of the Old, tabernacle of the Old Testament was a shadow. The tabernacle of heaven is the real thing, and God's people who are there right now are tabernacling. And now Revelation 21.3, the most important verse here which is a picture of the new creation. And we're going to touch on this more in the coming weeks. So don't feel like this has to all make sense yet. But Revelation 21.3 says this, and I'm going to again read it with the verb and noun form clarified. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's tabernacle is with humanity, and he will tabernacle with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. God's tabernacle is in with humanity, and he will tabernacle with them. Revelation 21 is a picture of the future new creation. It's not what's happening yet. Like, no one could read Revelation 21 and 22 and be like, oh yeah, that's what's going on right now in heaven. No, no, no. That's a picture of the future new creation when Jesus comes back. And this is the climax of the whole tracing the tabernacle through the Bible. It's the main event to see the shadow and the substance united together, to see God's realm and his tabernacle make its home on earth. That's what it's saying here. This will be the culmination of the journey all along, to merge God's world and our world into one. That's what I meant when I said that heaven is a place, a world on the move, a world with a destination. 
And that's why the tabernacle is such a helpful picture, because as we trace the tabernacle through the Old and New Testament, we see a sort of map uh, that the end game plan of God is to be with his people on planet Earth. Just as God wants to marry his people, which he does, and we'll talk about that. Just as God wants to marry his people, he wants to marry his two worlds, heaven and earth. And I want to give you an analogy that will help this sink in, sink your teeth into what I'm getting at here to help make sense of this. Think of heaven as less like a home and more like a train. Less like a home and more like a train. And I don't mean this in a derogatory way. I'm not trying to downplay how awesome heaven and where believers go when they die right now is. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. I'm not in a derogatory way. But think about it this way. A home is stationary. Its foundations are set in hopes not to be moved. A train is mobile. Its very goal is to be transient. It has a destination in mind. Part of the problem is that few Christians have been introduced to the distinction between the present heaven, sometimes called the intermediate state, and the future heaven, sometimes called the eternal state. When I talk about the present intermediate condition of heaven, I use the term heaven just for the sake of familiarity. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, when we die, we go to God's realm, God's abode, heaven, that place that transcends the realm that we live in now. Yes, we go to be with the Lord there in heaven where he reigns. Awesome. Cool. I'll use that uh, right now. The present condition of heaven, heaven. But when I speak of the future eternal redeemed state that will be ushered in when Jesus returns, I call this the new creation because that's what the whole Christian hope builds up to, a new creation that is cosmic in scale. And I fear most people's view of heaven is way too small when it is all the earth and the planets and the stars and every speck of creation that will participate in resurrection life. The plan is not to evade earth to heaven, but to have heaven invade and pervade earth and all the galaxy. God's realm and our realm becoming one, not separated. Right now they are separated that's not God's plan. That's not, and that's evidenced just by tracing the tabernacle alone. But you can look at the scope of the Bible. And when you read about what God is doing in the redemption story, it is not about that. If the current state of heaven was to be the final place for us all where uh, all God's people's journey would end, then the whole story of the Bible would be unfinished. The first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, presents the creation of the heavens and the earth. The last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, uh, presents the new cosmic creation. God did not give up on his creation. No way. God's plan not only will redeem, but will escalate the condition of everything to its highest form beyond our comprehension. Heaven is on a collision course with earth. The two worlds, God's world and realm and our world and realm, are meant to collide and become one. This is the train. The train is coming home to earth. Heaven as a tabernacle is a world on the move. It's a, a place that is being moved to somewhere, but to where? To our world. God's whole plan is to be with us in a way so unique and unprecedented that we have nothing to compare it to. It's not a return to anything that we've ever had. It's so much more. It's even greater than Eden. Because <laughs> in Eden, you had a serpent 
a serpent who uh, was antagonistic to God's plan. That will not be there. In Eden, you had the possibility of death looming over you. You won't have death there. And, and there's some more comparative and contrast that we can draw there, and we will in a future episode. So our first misconception about heaven that we have to reimagine is that heaven is not our eternal home. And most of us, in all of our songs about heaven, we talk about it like heaven's our home. The world is just a, this terrible place we're passing through. It's temporary, blah, blah, blah. Like the world's bad. Heaven's good. Like, wait a second. Like the world is good. Not that culture is good and that the ways of the world are good or that the evil and the suffering in the world are good or anything like that. But God thinks his creation is good and he wants to take it to when it's perfect. God is not giving up on his creation. The whole Bible storyline of redemption is to present a new creation. God's not giving up. This is part of his plan. He's not, we're not to evade and escape earth. Heaven's going to invade and make everything new. So again, we have to re reimagine that heaven is not our eternal home. It's our temporary lodging place until God ushers in the rest of his end game plan of redemption. He's going to finish what he started back in Genesis. What he called good will be made perfect in due time. Heaven is more like a train because it's a place on the move toward a destination. Like the tabernacle, being a place to meet with God while on a journey toward a more permanent place, God's people in heaven right now are in God's tabernacle, the very one the Old Testament was a metaphor of. And this is what we saw in Revelation 13.6. But you can also see it in Revelation 7.15 if you want to look that up. And so God's people are in his tabernacle in heaven, but they're also on the journey heading toward the end game plan, which is contingent on Jesus's return. When Jesus returns, we're going to see the new creation. And the thing is, God is not content to have his world, aka heaven, and our world, aka earth, separated. As long as heaven remains up there and earth remains down here, there's an incomplete narrative to the story of scripture. And God's work of salvation is not about rescuing us, oh, rescuing us away from the universe as we know it, but redeeming all of creation. Yes, his redemptive plan is cosmic in nature. It involves you and me, but it also involves the earth, sun, moon, stars, galaxies, and everything else. So to conclude today's episode, we should summarize our main takeaway like this. We must reimagine heaven as a train heading toward a destination. We must envision heaven as a world awaiting its wedding day. The wedding of two worlds, God's world and our world being wed as one, joined together, never to be separated. Because as we have said, God's final end game plan and desire is to marry his two worlds, bringing heaven and earth together in a way unlike ever before. We'll see you next time on Adventures in Theology.